Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Okay, we have been working through the book of Acts. And as we have been working through the book of Acts, we've seen that God clearly has had a, a plan and a purpose for how he has been spreading the church. Um, he told the, the apostles right off the bat that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, that they would be witnesses for him. And they would be witnesses where? Where's the first one? Jerusalem, Jerusalem and all Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. Okay, And so we saw it begin in Jerusalem, in, in Judea, and we saw how it spread via Philip into Samaria, and then Peter and John went and they... they validated it, right? And then Philip goes down and he, he talks to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then we saw Peter going down into the region of Caesarea, right? With Joppa and such, and giving the gospel to Cornelius. Then we have kind of transitioned where um, Barnabas, who wasn't one of the apostles, but is being used by the, the church to, to teach and to validate things. He happened to be in Damascus, some period of time. I don't know why he was there. I don't know if you know why he was there, but I don't know why he happened to be in Damascus at that time. But while he was in Damascus, there was a certain individual who was not a friend of the church who paid a call to Damascus. Do you remember who that person was? Saul of Tarsus. And he went to Damascus to do what? To persecute the church. But on the way, God said, I got a different plan for you, right? And so God interrupted Paul's or Saul's plans at that moment, and, and he blinded him, sent him off into Damascus, and he sends Ananias to give him his vision back. And so Saul of Tarsus now all of a sudden becomes the propagator of the gospel rather than the persecutor of the gospel. And he begins proclaiming the gospel so much that the people in Damascus can't stand him any, or not the people in Damascus, the Jews, and they want to what? They want to do to him what he wanted to do to the Christians, right? And so, so the Christians now become his defenders rather than hiding from him, and they put him over the wall, and, they, and, and he goes toward Jerusalem. But when he gets to Jerusalem, right, what happens there? Nobody wants to see him because he's Paul or Saul the persecutor, right? Until Barnabas, the son of encouragement, comes to his aid and tells him everything that was going on in Damascus, what he had seen. And so now all of a sudden, Saul was accepted, and he begins proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem so well that the people, the Jews in Jerusalem want to what? Kill him. And so they ship him off to, back to Tarsus, right? He's in Tarsus. Now Barnabas is sent to Antioch on behalf of the church to find out what was going on in Antioch, whether that was all true and everything. So while Barnabas goes to Antioch, he finds it indeed that the, the Holy Spirit is really moving amongst the people of Antioch, but they need to be what? Anybody remember? Taught. taught. They need to be taught. So he knows that this is bigger than just him, and so he leaves Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus for Saul. And he brings Saul back. And so if you remember, Tarsus is not very far from Antioch, okay, right here, okay, is where we've been, okay, and so he brings him back, and he and, he, and, he, and they begin to teach, and they teach for a full year, and then they go back to Jerusalem with a gift from Antioch, right? But then they go back to Antioch to continue the teaching, to continue the ministry. That's where we picked it up, okay, last week when we saw the leadership in the beginning of chapter 13, the leadership of the church, and the diversity we saw of that leadership, how they were from all over the place, and how they served the Lord with prayer and fasting, and that while they were praying, and while they were fasting, the Holy Spirit came to them and spoke to them and said to them, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have appointed them, right? And so then they what? They fasted and prayed some more, and then they released them, okay? And so we've got Saul, oops, here we go, maybe, yeah. We got Saul and Barnabas, and where they're from, okay? Those are, so if you haven't picked out their diamonds yet, that's where they're from. So remember, they're they're in, in Antioch, right where that, that square is there, right? That's where they're at. And so now they've been called out for the work that they've been called for. And they've got to make a decision 
on how they're going to start this thing. Remember, we talked about this, the beginning of missions. So where are they going to go? So let's, let's take our Bibles, if you're not there already, in Acts chapter 13. We're going to begin at verse 4, and we want to read down to verse 12. Okay? Acts 13, beginning of verse 4. So being out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, Oh, full of deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw that what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So they got to make a decision. Where are they going to go? Well, clearly we just read it. They went where? They went to Cyprus. They went down to Seleucia, down to the coast, got on a boat, and went over to Salamis, which was on the coast of Cyprus. It only takes us just a little bit of time, a couple hours, by boat to get there. Why do they go to Cyprus? Well, again, Barnabas is from Cyprus. We had already talked about that. So apparently, as they decided that they, when they were going to go out on this trip, the, the, start preaching the, the gospel, right? Barnabas, who was at this moment the leader of the two, Okay? He is the one who is mentoring and discipling Saul. That's interesting to think about. Okay, but in, So I, I just see a whole lot of that in the scriptures with, with Paul, a lot of Barnabas process that, that Saul, Paul has. And so anyways, they, they go there. And so because this is where Barnabas is from, so Barnabas wants to go back to, to Cyprus to, for, I think, to let his family know about the gospel, okay, and all of his relationships, and he's Cyprian, or a Cypriot, so the difference between Cyprian and Cypriot, you know that, right? Cypriot is an individual who's from Cyprus, Cyprian is that which is relating to Cyprus, okay? So the title of this is the Cyprian Catalyst, not a Cypriot Catalyst, okay? okay? But Barnabas is a Cypriot, not a Cyprian, if that makes sense, okay? So he's going to go back to Cyprus, okay, and, and, and win his people, to the Lord. So the first place they go is they go to Salamis, and they go to Salamis. When they're there, they go into the synagogue. Why? Because as Paul says later, okay, when Paul becomes Paul, and he's the one who's writing our epistles, in Romans 1.16, he says, to the Jew first, and also then to the Gentile, okay, that the gospel first and foremost was sent unto the the Jews. It's important for us to understand. The church later becomes anti-Jew. They become anti-Semitic. I don't know how. I don't, I don't know how you can read the Word of God and become anti-Semitic. But many of the church are. In fact, that's part of the, and I'm not saying covenant theology is anti-Semitic. But when you go to the where the church replaces Israel, it's very, simp- it's very easy then to get rid of the Jews. Because you're Israel. Okay, There's no reason for the nation of Israel anymore. So, and that's where, in the Reformation period and all that kind of stuff, that's the, the theologies that they had that leads into then um, what Hitler can do and stuff like that, because that just follows theologically into that. So that's just a little side. I just want you to think about it. There's a whole lot more that we can talk about. But there's a whole lot when you, your theologies can affect what you do in life, okay? Well, the gospel is first and foremost to the Jews. So they go to the synagogue, okay? First reason. Why? Because... It's in the synagogue where the people are going to be what? Say again, Phyllis. People will be gathered there, but what kind of people will be gathered? They're going to go to a lot of different places where people are gathered, but what kind of people are going to be gathered at synagogue? But specifically, so we think we're thinking back, but think in that day, what kind of people? I understand they're Jews, but what about what are the Jews at that time? Say again. God's people. 
there are going to be people who are going to be inclined to hear your message. Do you get it? I mean, you're talking about a Jewish Messiah. So these are the people that should be inclined to hear your message, right? Because you want to talk about it until the Messiah came, that God's word has been fulfilled. He came to redeem you. You need to trust in him. He, he was buried for your, you know, he, he died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day to prove that everything he's done was true, right? And so they go to the, the synagogue. As we come through it, I want you to think applications. Where's the first place when you do missions, when you're going out to witness, that you're going to go? Hopefully to your family, because you want your family to what? To know, right? And then, secondly, within that, you're going to be more inclined to talk to people who are what? Churchy. Churchy. Okay, just put it in our, our term, not Jewish, but churchy. There are going to be people who have a, a mindset that they believe in what? They believe in God. And so they may be more inclined to hear your message. But as Saul and Barnabas found out, okay, as we're going to see in these next weeks as we go along their journey with them, not always were the Jews what? Receptive to the message. Okay? Yeah. So, so from here, though, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, so from here, what do they do? They just continue to go through the island, continue proclaiming the message. Now, we're not told the details of every spot that they went to on the island. We're just told that they started in Salamis, in the synagogue, and then they continued through the island proclaiming the gospel until they got to Paphos. Okay? Paphos is on the other end of the island of Cyprus. Paphos is important because it's also the place where Rome has its proconsul set up. Okay? And so they come all the way down there, and it's in Paphos that we see the rest of this stuff happen. And I have that, that blue kind of explosion there, because that's what goes on in Paphos. We have this explosion. But I want to tell you that this is an exciting portion of Scripture, more than you maybe, again, like we talked about with the, the diversity of the, the elders, there's so much more going on in this passage than, you, than meets your eye. And I think by the end of it, you might be like, wow, I can't believe all this is going on in this thing. Because God is going to direct them where he wants the church, the ministry, the gospel to go. Now, it's not going to look like it right now. Right now, who made the decision? Or at least from our perspective, who made the decision? Barnabas, okay? Now, again, the Holy Spirit could have been convicting him for his family and that kind of stuff. But from, from our perspective, Barnabas is, is, is you know, well, we got to start someplace, let's start in Cyprus, okay? And so, but at the end of this, I think you're going to find out that God is actually using, quote-unquote, circumstances in our inclinations to put us in a path where he's then going to guide us through other circumstances and inclinations. Okay, this is really kind of fun for me when you, when you talk about the will of God. Okay, so big, ex, big thing going on in Paphos. What goes on in Paphos? Well, first of all, we have an invitation, okay? So the first thing was our itinerary. We went through that where, where they went. But this invitation that comes from Sergius Paulus, okay, which is a big deal. Now, understand, this is where all this begins. The Roman proconsul... Sergius Paulus, okay, asks to hear about the gospel. We'll talk about that in just a moment, okay? But first, this Sergius Paulus, who is he? He's a, he's a proconsul. Now, you need to understand in the Roman world, okay, the, the Senate ruled over certain areas of Rome, and Caesar ruled over certain areas of Rome. The areas that Caesar had the more power, he had to pay for the, um, for the military to be there and for the, the, the people who were going to be in charge. The place that the Senate was in charge, the Senate paid for it. Okay? So Sergius Paulus was there on behalf of the Senate. Another thing that you want to know as you come into this, that many times a family lineage was very involved with the politics. Any surprise? So we have George H. and then George W. And then the governor of Florida was Jeb. And you all know the last name is Bush. Okay? So, and we could go on with others who have been very involved name-wise in politics even here. But in those, in those times, it was very prevalent. Okay? Um, if you had favor amongst those who were in, in charge, you continued to move forward. We talked about that a little bit with Herod Agrippa a couple weeks ago. Okay? So Sergius Paulus, his family was, and so you can see what's fun about this, though, that he ruled by, by the Roman Senate. But in 1877, an inscription was found just north of Paphos, specifically with his name on it, stating that he was indeed 
proconsul. So this is, this is a valid fact. This isn't just, oh, well, the Bible says this. No, no, archaeologically we've discovered this. And then in 1887, there was also then a, uh, uh, a um, oh, come on, Bob, uh, like a, a, a road sign kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like a, um, that's that, say a marker, marker, thank you. A marker that was discovered, okay, um, by the river there that was placed by Claudius Caesar um, in that, that Sergius Paulus had been appointed one of the curators of the banks along the channel of the Tiber River, and that was dated about AD 47, okay? So apparently, he was the procurator, um, procurator, proconsul, sorry, proconsul in Cyprus in the early 40s, probably for about three years is what they, what they have estimated, okay? And then he was reassigned to Rome, closer to Caesar. Kind of an interesting little thought process here, okay? He got up into Rome, closer to Caesar, okay? And so there he had a, a much more influence. So as you kind of read through this stuff, just think how God is working amongst history beyond what, what you actually see, okay? God's got a reason and a purpose for things, okay? So it seems kind of random, seems kind of um, that Barnabas has his own thing going on, okay? But I think God had a, an appointment that he wanted Barnabas and Saul to make, okay? And I think the appointment that he had was with Sergius Paulus, okay? And you're going to see whenever you have an appointment like this, that the spiritual war, that's why we're singing all these spiritual war songs, the spiritual war is going to get great. Can I tell you that the, 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 one of the strongest times for spiritual war for Bob is the week leading up to communion? It's just a battle for me as I come into communion, because I... What communion means to me, okay, that as the, 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 what Jesus has done for me and the purity that I want to have before him and the battles that are there. In the, in the hardest time in my house are Saturday nights and Sunday mornings because we're going to come to worship God. There's a spiritual war that's going on, y'all, okay, that we just we, we kind of forget about and we kind of look at the other realm and we just think about it from, from a perspective of their personality and this kind of stuff. no. Satan is, uh, is alive. He's working against the plans of God as best as he can. But remember, whatever he means for evil, God can use for good. Okay? So one of the verses, David, that you shared, 1 Corinthians 10, right? That he won't allow me to be tempted, tried, troubled with anything that's more than I can bear. Right? He's faithful. So when these things, these trials, these, these struggles come into my life or into my family or whatever, God's allowing them for a reason, to strengthen me, okay? How I respond to it may have changed things. Make sense? We're going to keep moving, okay? So, so Sergius Paulus, he was proconsul. That's a factual thing. But we're also told that he was a, an intelligent man. Literally, in Greek, it's prudent. He was a prudent man, Okay? So what's interesting then about that is that this guy, in, in my mind, desired to know what the truth was, okay? He heard some stuff. He didn't know about it, but he wanted to check it out because probably as a proconsul in the Roman scenarios, right, he probably has heard a little bit of the rumblings that have come out of Israel, out of Judea. There was another Roman proconsul who was over there back in, the, in, in around 29, 30, 31. Who was that? Pilate. Do you think that made a little bit of a stir when, when the guy that he had arrested and killed is now being purported to be what? Alive and resurrected? It got a little bit of attention. So I, I'm thinking, I can't prove. This is just Bob's conjecture. Okay, just putting it in the, the, the historical milieu that it's in, that probably Sergius Paulus, if he was an intelligent man, that a lot of these things hadn't escaped his notice. Like Paul is going to be talking to King Agrippa later on. Agrippa II, because Agrippa I died. Remember that? We saw that worms ate him up. So he's going to have the opportunity at the end of the book of Acts to talk to Agrippa's son, Agrippa II. And he says to him, he says, I know none of these things have escaped your notice. You know all these things. Same thing, I think, with Sergius Paulus, okay? So he was an intelligent man, okay? And so he was also then a man of great influence because he was the, the governor of the land, okay? 
he had a desire. And I love the word that's used here. It's not zatao, which is to seek. Epizatao. Okay? So when I talk about the center of, what was the center of the earthquake? Okay? Ah, that's one thing. That's more of a general region, right? But we want to know the epicenter, and that is the specific spot of it. It's a more intensity of just saying center. It's the center, right? So this guy didn't just seek. He sought to know the word of God. Now, isn't this kind of fun? I mean, think about it. This is a proconsul of Rome that has emperor worship. But he is calling for Barnabas and Saul passionately, desirously to know the word of God. I've heard the rumblings of this stuff going on. And I can't believe you guys are here on my, on my shore. Please, tell me. Tell me firsthand what's happening. That's kind of cool. Wouldn't you like that to happen? You know, the, the mayor calls you up, the governor calls you up, and says, hey, I know you know, so tell me the truth. I want to hear the truth. Well, they get the opportunity to have this, this, this opening with Sergius Paulus, but that doesn't work well with Elymas, who's also called Bar-Jesus, the son of Jesus, the son of Jesus. Okay? This is where I want to remind people that Jesus is just a name, y'all. Now, I understand it's special to us, but to, to the Jewish people, his name is Yeshua. We know it in the Old Testament as Joshua, okay? So, Yahashua. So, it's Yahashua, and so they just get rid of the H and make it Yahshua, Joshua, okay? And so, there are lots of boys, Jewish boys, who actually were called Joshua, or Yeshua, okay, because it was a special name, okay? Just as there was a lot of girls who were named Miriam, okay, Mary, because that was the sister of Moses, okay? So just think about how that plays out. So, so I'm not trying to belittle our Savior's name, but I want you to realize that the, the name that is above all names is Yahweh. That is the one he declared to Moses and said that it, it would be his name for all generations. That's the name that is to be protected. So this guy, okay, who is he? Well, the first thing we see, his description, is that he's a Jewish magi pseudo-prophetes. And pseudo-prophetes is actually the Greek term. It's a Greek word, pseudo-prophetes. Okay? So it looks like pseudo-prophet, doesn't it? Pseudo-prophetes. And magi is actually the Greek word, magoi, magi. I mean, that's who he was, a magi. Okay? And so the only one I'm really translating there is Jewish, but it's really UDAs too. So it just if you read the Greek, you just see, there it is. Okay? So what do we know about him? He's a sorcerer. He's a, he's a magi, a magician. Okay? That'll make you squirm just a little bit. Because who were the first ones that God called <laughs> to declare that, that Messiah was born? There were magi coming from the east. That's where Daniel was at. Daniel and Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael were taken as captives over to Babylon so they could learn all the arts of Babylon, all the Chaldean arts. And so they became, whether you like it or not, Magi. That's who they were. That's what they were. They were the Chaldean Magi, okay? And so, so they learned astrology. They learned all these things, okay? Now, that doesn't make it right. The Word of God still says that sorcery is what? It's wrong. It's evil. Okay? And God said, kill the sorcerer. Okay? So you, so you got to understand that that was evil. So for this man to be a Jewish magi, make sense? He's going against the law. Okay? He's already made a decision on which side of the offense he's going to stand on. But then he's also a pseudo-prophetess. What's a pseudo-prophet? It's a false prophet. Well, it kind of makes sense, right? I mean, if he's a, a sorcerer, he probably isn't a what? A true prophet. See, this is the battle that we have with Balaam, isn't it? 
Because Balaam gets a word from Yahweh, right? And he declares the blessing over Israel. But how do we know that in the end, even though God used him to speak some truth, how do you know in the end he was a false prophet? Say it again. He came against the Israel. He gave, he gave them how to come in and destroy Israel by sending in the women to, 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 to be seducers, okay? So God's word very clear on how you know a false prophet, how you know this kind of... So if, if an individual comes in, and, and even if what they say comes true, if they are leading you away from God, they're a false prophet. Does it make sense? So if they declare something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, they're a what? They're a false prophet. That's pretty simple. But if they declare something is going to happen and it happens, but they still lead you in a way against God and his word, they're a what? False prophet. Can I stop for a moment? Next week we're going to talk about Mormonism a little bit in Sunday school, but just a quick statement about Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith made a prophecy regarding the Civil War. But it came true. There was the Civil War and that kind of stuff. And that's what the Church of Latter-day Saints is going to camp on with him being a what? A prophet. Okay? But, he, but in his own statements, he takes you away from the Word of God and says the Word of God was contaminated, and he writes a new book that takes you away from the truth of God's word. Are you tracking where I'm going? Therefore, he's a what? A false prophet. Boom. I mean, it's, this is a no-brainer kind of thing, guys. Okay? So, Elimus, Bar-Jesus, is the same kind. Okay? So, he's being described as a false prophet. Now, again, no marvel. Paul tells us later when he becomes Paul, right, and he's writing these epistles, that these things are going to happen, okay? Jesus said it before he left, that there were going to be false prophets that arose, okay? There were going to be false Christs that would arose, rise, okay? So they've been there, and they are today, okay? So his position, though, this is what's fun. He was a counselor to Sergius Paulus. He was a counselor to Sergius Paulus. Now, you need to understand that the rulers back then were very superstitious, okay? And so they would have their, their sorcerish kind of counselors around them to be able to tell the future and to, to do these things and to be able to, to, to tell. We wouldn't do that today, would we? Does anybody know the name Gene Dixon? Oh, yeah. Reagan's wife. And not just Reagan's wife. She actually is all the way from the 50s. She was in the Oval Office numerous times, more times than you want to believe, understand. She was an astrologist, horoscopist, whatever you want to call it. She was a sorceress. She was a witch, okay? And so Richard Nixon, I'm going to step on like, because the two guys we're talking about here are Republicans. They were not Democrats, okay? <laughs> yeah, does that make you a little, like, okay? Richard Nixon, after the, the, the 72 Munich um, um, massacre of the Jewish Olympic team. Remember, I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. I am. Okay, they they came in and, and there was this the 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 Arabs, um, the Muslims came in and they, they killed them and stuff like that. Gene Dixon prophesied to 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 Gene Dixon prophesied to Richard Nixon. Anyways, that we were going to be having terrorism coming into our land next. You thought it was a modern thing. Richard Nixon immediately opened up a cabinet position, not a cabinet itself, but underneath the cabinet, okay, position for anti-terrorism to start analyzing it. Things that we started to do. Ronald Reagan's wife, Nancy, was all over this stuff in influencing her husband based upon the stars, based upon whatever Gene Dixon said. Now, Gene Dixon got her notoriety because, again, what we talked about, if something comes true, right? She theoretically predicted, not theoretically, but anyways, predicted JFK's assassination, okay? She said in the 50s, whoever got elected in, in, 19, in the election in 1960 would be assassinated, okay? She changed it, though. Nobody talks about that. She changed that because she decided that R Richard Nixon was going to be elected. And so she then prophesied that Richard Nixon was going to be elected. That didn't happen. There were hundreds of things that she predicted that never happened. 
But a pseudo-prophetes, a false prophet, they get what? They send out hundreds of, of predictions. One comes true, and then what? That's the one they camp on. Always remember that, y'all. But according to God's law, there are what? They're false prophets. False prophet, false prophet. So before, lest you think that we are above this, and this is only biblical stuff, this is going on in your own government. Okay? So he was a counselor. His obstruction, he stood against, I mean, he stood against, That's not just withstood, but he stood against. I mean, it is like a, a very active, like, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's going, it starts off with anti, anti-istemi. He's just standing against them, Okay? And uh, he's, he's anti them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Do you, do you get this? This is a spiritual war. This had nothing to do with politics. He wasn't worried of what was going to happen with the social policies. This had everything to do with the faith of Sergius Paulus. And Satan had his minion right beside him. There is a war going on specifically over the governances of the lands. When Daniel began to pray, and the angel was set to him with a message. The angel, when he got there, said, I I started out 21 days earlier. But what happened? Anybody remember? Not interrupted, but yes, withstood by who? The prince of Persia. The prince of Persia withstood me. And I did battle with the prince of Persia until Michael came to my aid, which made us realize that Michael's probably still was at that moment fighting against the prince of Persia while this angel, the messenger, was able to be released to, to go talk to Daniel. Think about that. God sent it. Now, this may, you're talking about the faithfulness of God, the sovereignty of God. It's got to make you nervous just a little bit. What do you mean that God sent out his messenger in and a worker of Satan was able to what? To waylay him for a while. God allowed it. I can't answer why, but God allowed it. There's a spiritual war going on in the heavens, in the celestial realm, in the spiritual realm, however you want to look at that one. In this room right now, there's, I've said this multiple times over the years, one of the most active places, I'm sure, of, of demon activity is a place where the word of God is being proclaimed. Because they don't want you to get it. They don't want you to act on it. So you're going to be distracted. You're going to be confused. You're going to be angered, whatever. And so it's okay. And it's easy for me, so I make excuses. You know, like, uh, you got to worry about reverse psychology. Anyways, but the fact is that there's a spiritual war going on. And Elimus was the worker of the devil at this place. He's the sorcerer. And we're told specifically that his aim, his goal was... For Sergius Paulus not to get saved. He wanted to keep him from the faith. When we go knocking on doors, I know, we pray about that. Because I know Satan is, <laughs> is right there. I mean, it's, we're walking in plain view. So, I mean, I, you know, the spiritual realm, physical realm, how's all to put it together? Anyway. But he knows it. And there's a going to go on at the, at the door. But the one thing I always rely upon is that my God is bigger. And I'm on the winning team. And when God has an appointment, there ain't nothing that's stopping the appointment from happening. Does that make sense? So, the man of the hour, from the human perspective, is Saul. The understudy. Right? Because Paul counterattacks as only Paul. I, I picture Paul as this bulldog kind of guy. Paul is bold. And he's, I mean, you think Peter, like, was opened up his mouth and let it go? I think Paul just a whoom. And then he asked later for you to pray for him that he might be bold to speak as he ought to speak. And I'm thinking, if a guy had any more boldness, I mean, we bowling people over, right? And so he is so affronted. By what's going on, again, maybe, maybe my study this week came out a little bit in Sunday school, you know, when it was like the righteousness of God. He is so affronted at what's going on because of the holiness and righteousness of God, he knows the attack. 
is really a spiritual attack. There's a battle going on here. This has nothing to do with Barnabas and Saul. It has everything to do with the redemption of Sergius Paulus. Everything to do with the power of God. And so at this moment, he gets empowered. Now, did he already have the Holy Spirit? Or not? This is one we, we talk about you know, before, and people debate this. But he, had, he was filled at this moment with the Holy Spirit for whatever purpose. At this moment, he was going to do something, and the Holy Spirit came on him with power and moved him in a way that everybody noted. And he makes a pronouncement. Now, I got just a nice part on here about the blindness. But before the blindness, he calls him every name in the book, doesn't he? I mean, he calls him, he's a, he's a son of the devil. He's a worker of unrighteousness. I mean, he called it like it was. I struggle sometimes. Because I don't know where everybody's motivation's at. And I'm not the judge of the heart. But when it comes to a Jehovah Witness at my doorstep, or a Mormon at my doorstep, do you understand? I'm pretty straight. Either you're a worker of the devil or I am. We're not both of the Lord. One or the other of us ain't right. But I'm standing on this. And, I'll, and I'm willing to go before my judge, trusting him in what he's declared. And you need to understand that. That Satan has his workers in the world. Now, the reality is, as we talked about with Jehovah Witnesses in Sunday school a few weeks ago, there are those who are being duped. They don't know. Do you understand? But there are those who are what? Hook, line, and sinker into it. Do you see the difference between Sergius Paulus and Elymas at this moment? Neither one of them are what? Believers. They, they, they don't know the truth. But Elymas wants control over Sergius Paulus. And he realizes in the spiritual realm that Sergius Paulus is starting to give way to the truth. The light is breaking through into the darkness. And he's got to do whatever he can to stop it. Sometimes, whether we like it or not, we have to become confrontational. I'm not a confrontational individual. But there are times the Lord has shown me that I have to become confrontational. I've blown it big time in the past because I wasn't confrontational. Because I didn't want to call out something. But you learn, right? How, how do you learn the best? Come on, let's be honest. Experience, failure. Experience, yes, but let's be honest. It's not positive always experience. It's the failures. Failure's okay. But you better what? You better learn from it. And try not to repeat it. But it's better to learn from somebody else's experience and somebody else's failures. We like to do them ourselves first. To make sure it really is a universal thing that's going on there. You know, like just, you know, because I, I thought it was above it, but no, I guess I'm not above it. Yeah, it really is a universal experience there. Paul called him out. But then even more boldly, did what? He made a prophecy. He made a prophecy against the pseudo prophetess. You got to know that you are being led by the Holy Spirit, to make the statement that he made. Because his whole ministry is now on the line. Are you tracking at this moment? You can call him every name in the book. You can call him a liar. You can call him a son of the devil. You can call him all this other kind of stuff, and you can kind of read the word of God and quote the word of God. But now he's going to go the next step because, we remember, we talked about signs. The purpose of the sign is to validate the message. This is a major moment, the Cyprian Catalyst. And for a time, you will be blind. Now, he doesn't say permanently blind. You're, it's, he talk, it's just a temporary blindness. 
Because it doesn't have to be permanent. It just has to happen right now. Because it can't be five years from now. Because the battle over Sergius Paulus is when? Now. now. It's got to be now. And at that moment, Elimus is Do you know anybody else who instantly became blinded for a short period of time? <laughs> Saul. He got it. He understood. He learned his lesson pretty good, didn't he? Yeah. And so, but this is a different story. This isn't a positive moment. This is judgment. We don't know whatever happens to Elimus bar Jesus, right? But at this moment, this is judgment. This is battle, okay? And so he, he blinds him and he walks around in darkness, right? Well, who sees this? Sergius Paulus, right? And so it's only one, one last verse that we're at, right? That we read about Sergius Paulus doing what? Getting saved. Well, we're going to get into the importance of this moment. Because all this is about three things. First of all, say three things. Where did I get to? You'll get there. The redemption of Sergius Paulus. Boom. You could, we have stopped right there. What is one soul worth? It's worth God directing people specifically to go talk to them. But they have to be willing to do what? To open their mouth and talk. The eunuch of Ethiopia was important enough for God to redirect Philip in a, in a mighty way. But it would have meant nothing if Philip didn't go down there and do what? Open his mouth. God wanted Cornelius to be saved. And so he sent an angel to send for, for Peter. But if Peter says, man, I can't go in the house of that, that pagan. He didn't say it. But he could have. That's what he said. The first thing he said when he walked in, you know it's unlawful for, for me to even be here. But I know that God called me to be here, so I'm going to go against everything I've thought about because he just gave me that thing saying, don't call unclean what I call clean. And so I hear, what do you want? He says, well, I don't know what you want. I, I don't know. All he told me was to send for you, and you tell me what I need to know. Oh, well, you need to, um, you need to start, you need to start, say again? There was this guy. Well, I was going to say, you need to start investing in these stocks. <laughs> Think about it. You have an opportunity. The opportunity is there. Open wide door for you to talk. Are you going to tell them about Jesus? Or are you going to tell them about what happened with the Atlanta Braves? Are you going to tell them about the big trade that was going on in the NFL. I don't know any, but you get what I'm saying? We are so worried about the confrontation when it comes to telling the truth that we'll start talking about the weather. We were up in Greenville celebrating Andrew's 21st, and I tried, five guys, I tried. Walked in, and we were standing looking at the thing, and the guy said, hey, you got any questions? I said, hey, I got lots of questions. But you really want to know about my question about your hamburgers, right? And he says, yeah. And then he stood there, and so I waited a while. Because what was I hoping he'd ask me? Yeah. So what are your other questions? You know what my first question was going to say? My question is, how do you get to heaven? Was Jesus Christ really real? He never asked. Andrew knew I was, he could look at me. Andrew knew I was so, I was, I was laying this one out there, you know? But it didn't happen. Because if the guy would have asked, there's all the people behind there cooking the burgers and everything else. And I'd say it loud for them to hear. You got to lay it out there. Opportunities. I'm not bold. I'm not confrontational. But I know I'm on the winning team. And I know that if God wants to use me, he'll use me. But I'm just going to serve it up. So I can't witness to the people living down the street unless I what? Knock on their door. I don't know. They may not be home. They may close the door in my face. It's really okay. It really is okay. Think it really is okay. But the only opportunity I'm going to have, other than randomly meeting them in Walmart and, 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 and kicking them in the shin and having to apologize and then tell them about Jesus, it doesn't happen that way, right? Is I'm going to go to their house. Because they're not going to come over to my house and say, hey, what about the redemption of Sergius Paulus? The redemption of one man. Remember I told you where he go from here? Where does he go from here? Rome. To Rome. Isn't that kind of cool? And then we start reading about a, a church in Rome, you know? And I don't know what effect Sergius Paulus has, but he's a Roman official in Rome 
who now is a believer. And he's seen the power of God. He's a believer. But the second one, i got to do these quick. The second one, you ready for this? There is something that you see in this passage that probably you just read right over. When the individuals who are serving the Lord go to Cyprus, who were they? Barnabas and Saul, along with John. We'll talk about John later. Not today, but a week or two from now. Barnabas and Saul. But who is going to leave Cyprus? No, no not John. Barnabas and Paul. It becomes Paul and Barnabas in, in another couple of weeks, but yes. Barnabas and Saul went to Cyprus. Barnabas and Paul leave Cyprus. What's the Roman proconsul's name? Sergius Paulus. There is a, a place within Romanism of taking prizes and claiming prizes. I think this moment is the catalyst that propels Paul into his calling of being the apostle to the Gentiles. He's been teaching Jews and converts in the synagogues and such. But Jesus gave him a promise that he would speak to kings and people would get saved. Total conjecture here. Total conjecture. I think Saul, the Jew, becomes Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he takes the name of Sergius Paulus as his victory. So that as he goes out, it's a reminder to him all the time of what God has called him to. He's no longer Saul. What things were gained to me, I counted lost. In order to know the excellency of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but rubbish, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The, trans the final moment of the transformation of Paul. He's accepting his call. He's not just with Barnabas anymore. He was empowered by God to do battle with Elymas, not Barnabas. And it was his ministry to Sergius Paulus by which he is saved. Again, conjecture, but I see it. I, just so wonderful to me. But here's the next part. This is fun. When they left Antioch, again, they went to where Barnabas' home was. Because it kind of made sense, right? But we see the sovereignty of God behind it all, that God had a what? An appointment for them. So go ahead. Go back to your homeland. It's not going to be what you think it is. The synagogue in, in, in Salamis didn't really necessarily, we don't read about a whole lot of people getting saved there, do we? I mean, if, if there was, we would have read about it because we read about it other places. It's just a footnote. That's where they started. But it was all a matter of getting to the other end of the island so they could have this appointment with Sergius Paulus. There's another um, piece of archaeological evidence that was discovered about Sergius Paulus. And it led to the redirection of Barnabas and Saul. Because when they leave Cyprus, where do they go? They go way up into the middle of Asia Minor. They go past Go. So remember, they're from Antioch over here, but they go up to Pisidian Antioch. Do you know why? Because that's where Sergius Paulus's family had their estate. Cool. That's exactly right. Isn't that cool? Not conjecture. It's not in the Bible. But I find it very, very coincidental that they leave Sergius Paulus and they beeline it to his family's estate or the region of his family's estate. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking, Phyllis. Maybe he asked them. Just like Barnabas wanted his family to know, I think. Just like you want your family to know. Sergius Paulus got it. 
His life was transformed, and he said, I, I want my family to know. Now, I don't know. This is all my conjecture. This is Bobism going on, just thinking through this process. And in my mind at that moment, boom! They're up in the middle of Asia Minor. And we're going to see after, after they go there, and then they're in Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, and they begin this ministry up in, in, up in Asia Minor. Did you ever wonder why they went there? I mean, why did they leave this island? Isn't that kind of fun? Again, you don't read it. It's there. But archaeology has found it. And it has testified to the veracity of the Scriptures in such great detail. Isn't that kind of cool? People can bash the Scriptures all they want. But every time they uncover something else, all they do is prove it in such finite detail more and more and more. So, are you ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you? It's what we ask the kids to be ready for. Are you adults ready? You have the opening. Are you, are you willing to lay up, just kind of lay out the opening? Or are you avoiding openings? Lay out the openings. What are you doing in preparation for the spiritual battle? Because it's all around you and it's going to happen. Are you praying? That's the first and foremost, right? Ephesians chapter 6. You know, put on a whole armor of God. And at the end it says, and having done all, praying. Praying for all the, the saints, right? With all prayer and supplication. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? I forgot I needed the other one in there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. There is no other God besides you. Father, I thank you for your desire to use us in your ministry. You could do all this on your own. You, the Holy Spirit could come in just, and just give the gospel and change somebody, and boom, it's done. But you choose to use us. You choose to use us as servants going forth with the gospel of peace. You said how beautiful are the feet of those who, who proclaim the gospel. And so, Lord, help us to have beautiful feet. Help us to have bold mouths. Lord, help us to have thinking brains. Help us to have passions that are impassioned for the things that you are passionate about. Help us to love those who you love in the way that you love them. Put your words in our mouth. You've promised to do so. I believe that you will. That we may be able to speak what you want us to speak when you want us to speak it. In Christ's name, amen.